Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the That's What She Said podcast. My name is Alexa Dat. I will be your host today. We're here with producer Kyle. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Alex. And we're also here with SNY and WOR's Sal Licata. Hi, Sal. Hey, what's going on? Thanks Not for much. having me. Thanks for being here. We're so excited to have you. You know, we've gotten to know you so much from being at SNY, but we're excited to have you here in more of a longer form to talk to you about um, kind of your sporting interests and also, you know, getting more into your career and delving into that. But I want to start with what happened this week specifically and what happened Wednesday night in the NBA. So it was Kobe's final game and then Golden State played and they were playing for the NBA record for wins in a season. What game were you watching? Where? How did you watch these two games? You know, it's funny because I thought originally I was going to be more into the Golden State game because just thinking, ah, it's historic, 73 wins. Kobe, who cares really at this point? I loved Kobe, but I don't know. I mean, the Lakers are terrible. Kobe's going to play, what, 20 minutes in the game? He's old. He's beat up. But as I was watching the game, I, I was home flipping back. Um, I happened to get off of SNY and then went back home and, and watched. Uh, early. I think it was pretty early in the game. Anyway, I was flipping back and forth between the Warriors and Kobe. And honestly, because the Warriors game was so such a blowout, I ended up getting into the Kobe stuff. And then I started rooting for him to score as it kept feeding him the ball, feeding him the ball. Wasn't, though, until the end of that game where you watch the – you guys see the end of the game where Kobe started to hit some shots in sequence and brought the Lakers back to win. That is, to me, where it got exciting as opposed to the force-feeding throughout the game, which felt like an exhibition. But it was pretty cool to to sit back and watch. I couldn't believe I was more into Kobe than I was the Warriors. So starting out, I knew I was going to be more into Kobe because it was going to be the last time I was ever going to see him play, and I'm a huge Kobe fan. And my only problem with the Golden State game is – you, it doesn't capture your attention. Why do you sit there and watch for 45 minutes? Bad basketball, essentially, because the only thing you're watching is Steph throw up threes, which is really exciting when he does, but that's eight times a game, and then otherwise, what's what else is there for you to watch? Yeah, well, I like competition, and really, there's no competition for right. the Warriors right now. So I'll watch the Spurs games, and even those games haven't been good between them. I mean, one game where the Spurs ended up beating them was pretty good, but they, they make it look so easy, and I'm kind of with you on the style of play. I know it's fun to watch for a lot of people chucking the threes and the way that they move the ball around the court and play so fast, but I'm old school. I like defense. Yeah. I like to slow it down. I like to feed it into the big man. I, I'm a 90s Knicks fan, so right. I grew up watching those style basketball teams. So to me, this is kind of, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I couldn't get into it. Plus, they were blowing him out. If it were a close game, if there was some drama, then maybe, yeah. But the fact that they blow everybody out at home, it was just, that felt like an exhibition, too. So is this Golden State team going to be fun to watch in the playoffs? Or are they going to just be blowing everyone out until they get to the finals? Yeah, I, well, I think they're going to sweep the Rockets. I mean, nobody would be surprised there. Uh, who would be the second round matchup for them? It goes brackets now, so it would be the Clippers or the Blazers, correct? you got to assume the Clippers are going to win that 4-5 matchup. I mean, maybe the Clippers could win a game. No, I, until they play the Spurs or maybe Thunder in the Western Conference Finals and then whoever they face in the East, I wouldn't think that it's going to be much competition for the Warriors. It will be fun, though, to see if they can sustain the regular season success off of last year's championship all the way through the postseason. And if they do that and win, then they have an argument for being the best team ever. I don't think that they are, but then they have an argument for that. They have an argument, but my only other concern, though, is if they don't win the championship... What is all of this for? It's for nothing. It doesn't make any sense to be really excited about a team being so good in the regular season if they can't win the ultimate goal. 
what what the, what's the point of watching them? There yeah, is no point. It would be like the Patriots going undefeated until losing in the Super Bowl. That's what I, I mentioned that the other day on a radio show. That's kind of the equivalent to me. That because that was one of the more remarkable things I've ever seen in my life. The Patriots going undefeated. I've never seen it. I mean, it hasn't happened since the '72 Dolphins. I wasn't born then. So you see the Patriots run the table and blow everybody out. Brady to Moss all season long, and then they lose somehow to the Giants in the Super Bowl. That to me, would be the equivalent of this Warriors team if somebody somehow beat them. But because the sports are so different, and Kyle had brought that up yesterday, but because the sports are so different, it's a completely different game in terms of the NBA and NFL and going through that NFL season and winning those games. Don't you think the, the, the just comparing those two sports is a little hard in terms of that comparison? Yeah, but I think you could take the seasons, if you separate the sports and understand that they're different, you, you'd get the feel for the season. The Warriors dominated the season like we've never seen before, and the Patriots, to me, dominated that season like I've never seen before if they were to lose in say the finals or the Western Conference finals that would be the equivalent to waste an all-time historic season as the Patriots did by losing you know in in the postseason the conversations were the same too like you know seven the Patriots no one regular season can touch them and then going into the playoffs you think everyone the conversation nationwide is no one out of the AFC is going to touch them and that year you're looking all right well who in the NFC in the Super Bowl could rival them you're thinking maybe I I can't even remember because I was so giddy about the Giants but maybe the Packers that was the team out of the NFC people yeah. were really considering could do it so it's a similar conversation you're having now when it comes to the Golden State Warriors completely dominant in the regular season everyone's already giving them this ride to the finals so who would they face in the finals well you'd have to think Cleveland I guess that's the best option coming out of the east so for them I mean that's a I guess a decent matchup whereas the Giants were a complete shot out of the dark that no one anticipated to do it but it's the same sort of idea totally dominant gets a free pass to the final to the championship game and then will go ahead and potentially lose it i don't th- i don't think the warriors are going to lose but but i also it- think it's bizarre that we're comparing this warriors team to that bulls team i don't really see much of a comparison you're still down I mean- five championships so yeah, well, and that's and that's a huge part of it, the championships. And also, when you compare player by player, it's not even close to me. Well, I think you have a good point. I think that people will, and they already are, as you said, comparing them. And I think when the, if the Warriors win this this championship, then they have an argument to make them the best team of all time. But people will say that. I personally don't think that. I still think those Bulls teams. I mean, come on, man. You Jordan Pippen? Are you kidding me? I don't think that. I honestly don't think that it would be that competitive with the Warriors and Bulls. I think the the Bulls w- would beat them pretty easily. Six games, maybe even five games at time. Now, maybe that's being disrespectful to the Warriors in their style of play, but Michael Jordan, I, I don't see how he would possibly lose uh, with that Bulls team to this, to this Warriors team at all. Speaking of disrespectful, I thought it was disrespectful that ESPN took that Warriors game and instead put Kobe on ESPN 2. Because it was Kobe's last game of his entire career. We're never going to see Kobe on the court ever again. And instead of making him front and center, you put a Warriors team who's going for a record, which is like, okay, you got the record, great. You could read about it the next day in the paper or see a couple highlights. You put them front and center, and it's not even really competition like we talked about. To me, I was super focused in on the Kobe stuff. And yes, even though it wasn't a great game and everyone was just feeding him the ball, the Hmm. more emotional part of what you're supposed to be watching and what you're supposed to be caring about is the Kobe game. Well, 
maybe if ESPN knew the way that it would turn out with Kobe going for 60. But how do you not? This is it, what Kobe's done his entire career. Yeah, he turns it well, on in I mean, huge they, moments. He, he did take, they did feed. I mean, he shot the ball 50 times. Yeah, he did. That was ridiculous. That, kinda, and, that almost takes away from his it, 60 points a little it bit. It did take away yeah. from it. And Steph Curry in 30 minutes when Kobe played 42, Steph Curry had 46 points and he did it on like 60% shooting from three, 50% from the field. Kobe did it on way less. I think he shot something like 28%. But you can't even compare those two you're because also, how old Kobe biased, is now. For sure. I'm yeah. in love with you. Yeah, I love Kobe. The Kobe thing was great drama. I think ESPN tried to have a one and a one A broadcast because they had they still had Tariko doing the game with Hubie Brown, which I thought was a, a good broadcast. And yeah. they, they force fed Kobe down your throat even after the game, you know, post game and every sports center and all that stuff. So I don't think that it was a slight to Kobe Bryant. I, I, and I probably think Kobe, not probably, but I think Kobe's game got more attention ultimately than the Warriors Yeah, did. absolutely. Where do you rank Kobe all time? Maybe for the Lakers, let's start there. Mm, it's hard for me to say because, you know, I didn't, I watched a little bit of Magic growing up, but I'm not, you know, I didn't watch Kareem in his prime and all those different things. I'll just say it from what I have seen. The best player I've ever seen in my life has been Michael Jordan. I mean, the most dominant player maybe has been Shaquille O'Neal at times off of that uh, 30 for 30 special last night with the Magic. That's fresh in my mind. But Kobe has always been the next best thing to Michael Jordan. So, I I mean, he's the greatest Laker that I've ever seen. He's been there for 20 years. Is he better than Magic? I don't know if I could say that, but he's the closest thing to Michael Jordan I've ever seen. And if Jordan's the best player I've ever seen, then Kobe is right there with him. So he's top, certainly top three in my lifetime that I've ever seen. I mean, you can't, but Magic did. In his final introduction, he said the greatest Laker of all time. Yeah, but he's standing in front of Kobe. He was going to say, <laughs> no, hey, everyone, I know I mean, you all here to see Kobe, but I'm the greatest Laker, he, uh, so y'all can go is, fuck yourselves. He is Magic Johnson. I think he can own that title a little bit. I, just, I don't think he would ever do that no, in front he's, of Kobe he's, and He seems game. like a very humble guy. What's too, he supposed so. to say? He's the, here's the second yes, greatest leg yes, of all exactly. time. Yes. <laughs> Introducing. Well, also, that's what Magic built his career off of, being humble. Yeah. I mean, that he's always been that well, guy. I, I don't hold anything against Magic, but it was I heard a few people mention it yesterday. So. Yeah, let Kobe have his moment. We don't need to hear from Magic Johnson. Magic somehow shows up in everything. Please. In everything. <laughs> and the best is, when he was going through his speech and what he was trying to say, he was like, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put our hands together. Everyone's going to clap. We're all going to raise up out of our chairs. We're going to give him a really long ovation. We're like, what? You know this is live on TV, dude. You don't have to tell us what to do. We all know how to give Kobe a staring, staring ovation. Yeah, it was pretty funny. All right. So speaking of um, championships, let's talk about a team that will never win a championship. Mm, that's a bit too far. The New York Knicks. Oh, right. <laughs> I think she's probably right, Kyle, I mean, on that one. I don't want to admit that. I feel like every year, me and a few friends always have the same sort of, all right, here's what they've got to do to turn the team around. All right. Here's my thing, things. though. Okay. Right now, Phil never Jackson. Did. I've all, I'm always a Phil Jackson guy. Guy, I think uh, you know I love him, and I think he's been a great GM so far for the Knicks. This is what Phil said yesterday, though, that pissed me off. You guys talking to the media mm. and about the media. You guys are making it hard on us to get free agents. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to do that. You can make this a good place to come. You guys can do a job too. Yeah. What the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> just, wait, wait, you could curse. Oh on yeah. This thing? Oh yeah. This is yeah. We can do oh, whatever this we is, want. This is one hundred percent open <laughs> and free. We, we told Whoa. that to Ray Lucas, and it was just off the rails. Oh, it was, yeah, it was over. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you that Phil is lost. Now, here's the thing. Okay, it dates back to a couple years ago when no Nick fan trusted James Dolan, and rightfully so because of the history and getting involved and doesn't know what he's doing. So you were happy with Phil Jackson, even though I I always hated Phil Jackson because of those Bulls teams. I grew up despising Phil Jackson. He was the arch nemesis. I mean, he was their rival. I loved uh, Pat Riley was like a father figure to me. And then I loved Jeff Van Gundy. So I hated Phil Jackson. But 
you knew that Phil Jackson would be the one guy to keep Dolan away from the Knicks, and you figured that that would be the one way they could have success. Now, all for these two years, there's no way you could trust Phil. The game has passed him by. He's delusional. And then to see that yesterday, and those quotes in particular, yeah, blaming the media, blaming everybody else, and he's the one with the 11 rings, so he knows all. The triangle works, 11 rings, this championship, this championship, that. He's won 49 games in two seasons with the Knicks, and that's what he should be judged on. And honestly, at this point, I'd rather have Dolan step in and get him the hell out of here and hire the best head coach and GM combination that would be available. The, the problem is they're just such a mess. I don't I don't see any right moves being Well, made. we know what the best head coach available is, but he's never going to come here. Well, I mean, I want Jeff Van Gundy. I know Thibodeau is the same thing. And that's essentially what Phil was saying, that forget your guys. He went on to say something like, uh, well, I'm only getting guys that I know. Yeah, yeah he's like, I'll reach out, but like that's the least I'm going to do. The, I'm going to, you know, the guys in, in my inner circle who are going to yeah. be the guys considered. And he's like, and basically, Kurt is my guy. I mean, that's the guy who has been around. He understands my system. He's a guy that I can push around and tell to do whatever I want to do. And that's, I mean, it doesn't look like they're going any other direction unless he's got some sort of crazy trick up his sleeve. You know, it would be one thing if, and the other question is, I wish somebody would stand up and ask Phil, Phil, did you hire Derek Fisher? And then say to him when he says, Yes, I did. Well, just admit that it was a mistake because Phil, in Phil's mind, like he's done nothing wrong. Right. Phil has not taken accountability at all. Well, I know what I'm doing. I have 11 rings. You have 11 rings, but you have one of the worst coaching hires of all time, and the team has been awful. Even forget the win loss record. If you saw something in this team in the last two years that gave you hope. Hey, you know what? They're building here. And forget about Porzingis because it was a half a year that he looked good in. And I know maybe he has a bright future, but I'm talking about as a team, as a cohesive unit that doesn't have all this drama and mess surrounding them. If you saw something, then maybe you could believe that this would be the guy. I don't see anything that tells me the Knicks are headed in the right direction. Does Mello have a window that's closing? Is it already closed? Where where do you you know where do you put Mello in terms of winning? Good question. I don't think Carmelo Anthony. I like Carmelo Anthony, and I love the fact that he wants to be in New York and wants to remain here even with this dysfunction. But I don't think he's ever going to win a championship. I don't know if it's not if it's necessarily Mello and his window. I mean, even in his prime. I know he came close with Denver, I guess, to getting to what? Getting over the hump in the Western Conference Finals one year, but they never did that. No. Yeah, I don't I don't think that Melo himself, maybe just because of the landscape of the NBA with LeBron and then the Dream Team for all those years, yeah. and now kind of past his prime. But even so, even if Carmelo was still Carmelo Anthony, how are they? The Knicks stink. I mean, they have no players. They need a point guard. They need to play defense. So I, I don't think it's necessarily Melo. I think he'd be better off going somewhere else, personally and professionally. Maybe have a better chance. Somewhere. I've just never seen him as like the feature piece. He's the right. he's the elite scorer, but you need that guy who drives the team. And I the, he never struck me as that guy. Like I like I like the same things you said that he wants to be here. I think he has a few million reasons why he likes right. staying here. Yeah, but. come on! But everyone wants to play in New York because of all the other opportunities outside of basketball. Look at Victor Cruz. He's built his career a lot of it on outside of football. I mean, he was hurt, and I understand right. that. But he's got the fashion line. He's got a lot of other things that he's doing because he's able to be in New York and build on that. Melo's doing the same thing, but in fact, Melo's also playing, kind of. And so Melo's able to take you know, advantage of that. And then he's got Lala, who's got all of her stuff right. here in New York. So Melo doesn't want to leave New York because he's got other things going on for Melo in New York. Which is fine. And I don't mind that because I'd rather have somebody want to be in New York. I don't care what the reasons are, aside from guys being like, ah, I don't want to go play there and I don't want to deal with the media. Melo has dealt with a lot of stuff. He, yeah. he doesn't deserve all the you know, negative attention that he's gotten. But I think what you said, Kyle, basketball-wise is important. He's been a great scorer, but he's never been the guy to lift his team. 
to make his teammates better. And that's something that you want from your superstar player. So he's kind of, he doesn't have that, for whatever reason, killer instinct or that ability to make his teammates better. Great scorer can't make them better. And whether he wants to be in New York for the fashion stuff or the, the other issues, that to me doesn't matter as long as they were put together a winning team. But clearly they haven't been able to do that. Would the Knicks bring in anyone in this offseason that would excite you? Mm, no, probably not. Nobody. How do you feel no. about Rondo? Interesting. The name excites me, but I was just talking to Isola about this last night. You know, Rondo's a little bit of a dog, too. He's had issues everywhere he's gone. I know he's a championship, you know, a winner winning those championships with the Celtics, but I think at this point it would just be trying to get a name as opposed to a productive player. I'd rather go in a younger direction and try to, you know, build it up. Where would you see Melo going where he could be successful? <sighs> Good question. Good thing he didn't go to Chicago, right? I mean, who knows what would happen last year, but clearly Chicago didn't even make it in the playoffs this year with that talent. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the Clippers? Um it's a good question. I really don't know. There's no guarantee that when you go somewhere else that you're going to win anyway. I mean, unless he's going to the Golden State Warriors yeah. or right. maybe even the Spurs, where and, and they don't want him, right? Where where are you going to win? So I, he could be in a better situation than the Knicks, but, I mean, you could go to Milwaukee and be in a better situation than the Knicks are. So I don't know necessarily if there's one specific spot that Melo could go to try to get a championship. So Knicks fans have no hope. We're telling them. No, it's over. <laughs> it's, over. <laughs> it's over. Just drop your rooting interest right now. Go latch onto a team that, you know, maybe is up and coming, that you can you can say that you rooted for <clears throat> back when, and then when they win the championship, you and say that you were there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's forever. It's been what twenty years since they've been. I mean, all right, sixteen. Well, years. let's get Patrick Ewing back and make the Garden great again. Yeah, you know, and you know what's let's funny? Do that. When he was here, people were like, "Oh, Ewing. Oh, he never wins the big one." Oh, you, Ewing. I mean, he had to go up against Jordan every year. He was so underrated and underappreciated. It's sickening to think back. But the Knicks, to me, once Van Gundy left in two thousand or two thousand one, they have they have been a complete. Mess. There was a point in my life I never thought the Knicks would make the playoffs. I mean, miss the playoffs. Knicks miss the playoffs? What are you kidding me? How are the Knicks <laughs> going to miss the playoffs? Look at it now. I mean, they never even make it. I can't believe what what happened to those proud Knicks franchises. And no, I don't see it getting turned around anytime soon. Unless Dolan sells the team, I don't I don't see it changing. Can we end on a positive note? Is there anyone no. on this team? <laughs> <laughs> that was that positive. Not, not with the, we talking about the Knicks. Yeah. Is there anyone on this team that can you know is someone that you can look forward to besides I don't know I don't think Porzingis is all that he's cracked up to be I said this from the beginning Kyle and I talked about this a lot on the podcast we argue about it a lot well argued about it but I was saying specifically this season he's never played a schedule like this before and I knew that was going to be a huge problem for him at the beginning of the year I knew injuries were going to be a problem too Kyle said he was young and the schedule wouldn't impact him I thought both of those things ended up affecting him in the long run but you know and, and maybe hopefully that won't next year but is there anyone on this team that you can look forward to uh, right now, outside of Porzingis, no. I mean, I don't see it. I mean, what about Langston get, Galloway? You're gonna get excited about Kylo Quinn? I mean, no, no Langston Galloway. No, no, I like him. He's a nice player, but he's not. The, he's not a future. Jaron Grant had a few flashes. I like Jaron yeah, Grant. If he could, if he could make it more consistent. Yeah, but there's got to be a reason why he wasn't playing, right? I mean, w- well, what's the reason why they weren't giving him any minutes? If Jaron Grant was, well, we, look at look at the two head coaches yeah. that we've had. I mean, it's been it's been a disaster. Yeah, they don't know how to use him. So even if they had a good player, yeah. they wouldn't know how to use him. It's, so no, the answer is no. They and and by the way, it'd be nice if they had a draft pick this year, but of course. They don't, so that's another wasted, you know, thing for them. I think Porzingis has great potential, but I'm kind of with you, Alexa. I don't think that he's as good as everybody thinks, and I don't look. He's got a lot to prove. I don't know if he's ever going to live up to those high expectations people set. So, from one sports figure who is criticizing the media to another, 
Terry Collins went mm. off on the media this week. What is he talking about? Why would know. he have to go after the media in terms of what they're saying about the team? Why can't he just focus on what the team's doing, which is not playing well right now? I, I don't know. And then he starts going off trying to say, oh, well, we wanted to send a message. What message exactly are you sending, Terry? You barely beat the Marlins. You salvaged the game in the series. You just lost four in a row at home to the Phillies and the Fish. I mean, that is the message has already been sent. It was an embarrassing homestand. You're off to a bad start. That's it. But... Whether he wants to manage the game to win, which is an important game, fine. That's different. But to to call out the media and say that you're trying to send a message and we wanted to make sure that they know we're in it to win, I don't know what. The well, hell he said was some of the stuff I'm reading is making me sick to my stomach. Uh, he, you can't pay attention to that. Stop yeah. looking at the paper, Terry. Yeah, I mean, look, you you should watch SNY and you should read the paper and and uh, <laughs> listeners, at home, listeners at home do all of this. But Terry, if your production assistant brings it in, just burn it. He so. can't. But just don't acknowledge it. <laughs> yeah. Why would you? Li- what are you doing? You got to be above it. You're the manager of the team. It's one thing for us to overreact. That's our job. Terry's the manager. You can't address that stuff on game eight. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be good if he did it on game one fifty eight. He did it on game eight. You can't do that. Terry's obviously feeling the pressure, and I don't know what's gotten into him. But that was a very bad look for him. What to you as a fan is the biggest issue right now? What the Mets? Yeah. Uh, I know we're only eight games in, but let's let's dissect I think it. It's, I think the problem is that they have players in the lineup that are just not as good as maybe you would hope. Even Granderson. I know Granderson had a great year last year, but he always stinks in April. Okay, but let's give him the benefit of the doubt because he's got the track record. So you figure Granderson will come back at the top of the order. Once he gets going, that'll change things. Cespedes will get back to being Cespedes eventually, and that will change things too. But the two guys, to me that are the biggest problem are Lucas Duda and Travis Darno. Because Duda will hit 25 to 30 homers, but... When? He, yeah, he yeah. does it in bunches, yeah. but he never gets a big hit. I, I'd rather him hit 15 homers in big spots than hit tw- hit 8 in one week and add up to 25 at the end of the year. And he gives you bad at bat after bad at bat at times, looks completely lost. For a guy who they have high expectations for, he bats in them. He's supposed to be a cleanup hitter for them. You know, fourth, fifth hitter, whatever it is. You get a drive and runs and hit with power. And Darno, oh, Darno's going to be a great offensive catcher, great offensive to play well when exactly what has he proven he's either hurt or he's inconsistent and those two guys who really should lengthen out that lineup and make it a formidable lineup have stunk and that's the biggest problem they're well, streaky and, hitters well and the Travis Darno thing I think is really uh really stands out because they decided to keep Plowecki right and they decided to keep Plowecki rather than sending him down and getting him everyday reps right. you're going to be the backup because we don't necessarily exactly know what we're getting with Travis and that's a problem he's your starting catcher on a team that you are supposed to take to the World Series and you're not really getting much out of him defensively or offensively. Yeah, well, I like this year that he's thrown out a couple of runners yeah, already. That's nice. He looks like he's... <laughs> He looked. He just sounded sarcastic. He sounded. He looked like he's learned how to throw a little bit, coming over the top as opposed to kind of sidearming it a little bit. I think Pulecki's there too. Just look, they love Pulecki. Uh, I don't know if I love Pulecki as much as they do, but I think he's there just to give Darno some rest, make sure you try to keep him healthy. But they got to start hitting. That's the thing. In years past, it would be infuriating because they didn't have the players. Now they have the players, and they're just not performing. Which I think eventually that will get turned around. I think they'll be okay. I still don't think they're going to win the division because though. we're criticizing Darno a little bit right now. Just how lucky are the Mets that the Blue Jays lost their mind? Because Darno was the centerpiece in that trade, and they lucked into Syndergaard, who might be the best pitcher in baseball. Just how, like, just looking on this right now, how lucky are the Mets? 
I mean, Alderson did make sh- to be able to get Darno and Syndergaard for R.A. Dickey, yeah. essentially. But I mean, it felt like Syndergaard was like the throw-in on that. Like I was like the sweetener. They're like, oh, a young prospect who might turn out. Darno is the right. The Metro really wanted trade. to get a catcher because yeah. yeah. they didn't have one. I mean, and Syndergaard will be. I mean, he is incredible. the best part, part of that trade. He's been. He's going to be their best pitcher. Unfortunately, because Harvey hasn't gotten it going yet, but. The problem is, what is Syndergaard, and this will this will pan out differently as the season goes on, but just currently, what is Syndergaard having a great game do for you if you have zero run support? Well, that's the thing. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, the Mets pitching, Mets pitching, Mets pitching. Well, it's not just about that. They had great pitching last year to start the year, and look what happened. They were in a funk. You know, after the good start in April, May, June, July, they couldn't hit until they started acquiring all those bats and brought up Conforto. And the same thing now. They've gotten good pitching. If you look back over the eight games, right, DeGrom was good. Harvey's been good enough to win baseball games for two. He hasn't been as dominant. But he hasn't been Harvey. No, no, but that's fine. But but Harvey on Harvey's level is as dominant as a pitcher in baseball. But he's been good enough to win some games. Cologne was good. Syndergaard's been great for two games. I mean, seven of the eight games have been well-pitched games, and they still have lost the majority of them. Hard to believe. Plus, the pitching was strong at the end of spring training, which I always like to look at going into the season, and it's been strong. The hitting was bad at the end of spring that's training, and it's still bad. Yeah. And so when that we're happens, hitting the panic button right now? Is that, is that the plan? Terry no. is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, Terry has. Yeah. Well, and the media is talking about it. And when Terry then takes that and, and presents it to the media like, hey, guys, I'm just as concerned as you are. Where do you look to to go? Let's calm this down. Who calms down the ship if the captain is freaking out? Uh, that's a great question. Terry has to have a now. I love his passion. I love his fiery personality. I, I love I love I do love Terry Collins. I just it's just a, you can't act like that. You've got to have some control. By the way, we're coming off a of World Series where he blew a few games himself. The way he handled Harvey in Game Five, the familiar. But you love that, in game though, four. right? What in the moment? Oh well, yeah. yeah but but yeah. I'm not. I'm, again, it's not my job. I'm right. there with fifty thousand plus screaming Harvey, Harvey. But <laughs> yeah. Terry's got to know better. He's the manager, and his original decision was the right one. He knows Harvey better than the rest of us. He wanted to pull him out of the game, and he let Harvey talk himself into staying. Which so the problem is not the decision; it's his indecision. You've got to stick with your gut. So off of a World Series where he cost the Mets, in my opinion, at least two of those games. You know, you got to be better this year, and he's not. He's feeling the pressure. He's getting worse, obviously, by reacting to the media and the and the fan base, which is something I've never seen. Well, which is so crazy because as the media, we love Terry because he's so emotional. Right. He gives us great sound bites. He gives us tons to work with. He's super personable. Anytime you see him, you can sit down and have a conversation with them, and and you know, you know, swap jokes or whatever. And he's just he's been so great to us. And then you turn around and you say, well, but is the way he's acting a little bit det- detrimental to the team because that. That could be the case if he's just acting on emotion. Yeah, and you're right. You love the emotion. I love, look, I'm an emotional person. I'm a passionate person myself, so I love that. But you, at times, you have to, the way I was talking about this the other day on the radio is it would be the equivalent of people like us getting mad when somebody rips you on Twitter or something like that. Now, I have reacted at times, but I've learned from it. You don't want to do that necessarily. But Terry reacting to the fans and media is the equivalent of somebody, you know, an actor or a famous rapper getting getting into a beef on Twitter. Why would you care what somebody says? You got to be above it. You are in a higher position than that. So to see Terry lose control like that is quite alarming. Speaking of alarming, how about Cespedes diving into the stands? How did you feel about that? <laughs> I actually liked it. I Thank can't, you. Thank I'm not going to rip the guy one day for his effort and being lackadaisical out there and lollygagging and not caring and then making max effort. I thought he was trying to maybe send a message like, hey, I do care about this. 
making a, a good effort on the ball. Was it the smartest decision to no. hop into it? No, but you know what? You're an athlete. Things are going to happen. You'll get hurt running first to third. Sometimes you pull a hammy. So if you got hurt, so be it. You deal with it. I love that he gave you max effort on that play. And you know that he's probably hearing a little bit too. Slow start, wants to make something happen, booed by the fans. I love that from UNS Espedes. Yeah, but running from first to third, you're trying to put yourself in a position to score. He's trying to catch the ball. Diving into the stands, <laughs> into a group of fans does not I mean, make you They do it in basketball all the time, right? You dive out of bounds. You hit a few fans. The fans get into it. But that that ball wasn't close. He yeah, wasn't going to catch no, that ball. It was, it was pretty close. Yeah, he was really, Jeter, The time Jeter did it was that close. I mean, Jeter went. Four first of all, I was at the game. It was not close. It was buried Which in game? a group. the Met game. You're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, it was buried in a group of fans' hands, and it was halfway down their arms before he even decided to leap into the crowd. Let right. alone stick his but glove out. Where? He was not close. And when he got to the wall, he hesitated as She's if so like, fiery about should this, I then? jump into the stands? No. Oh wait, everyone's been bitching about my effort. Yes, <laughs> instead I will. Dives in for what? For, for risking just getting his shin caught on the chair, which is exactly what happened, he tumbles over the wall, and we have the trainer sprinting across the field as if, you know, this guy's dead now in the stands. <laughs> That's a almost, huge problem. Were you sitting over there? Did he almost take you out or something? I was sitting, I was she's super close. upset about it. I was sitting close, and I just saw the ball, and I saw him dive in, and it was, it was like there was a 10-second lapse in between the two. From the ball coming into the stands and him diving in, there it, there was so much time for him to go. This is a, not a smart decision, Look, and he made the wrong decision you, anyway. You'd like to see him give a more consistent effort, and you'd like to see yeah, him how about use in better the playing judgment. Field? How about in yeah. the playing well, field? You'd like you give see- more when you're diving out of the playing field, and that's where you're giving the most effort. That concerns me. It's not at the plate. It's not in center field. It's in foul territory. Well, What's you, the point? You'd like but to- he didn't get hurt, so we're like it's okay because right. he didn't get this hurt. time. And I think you'd want to use better judgment eventually, but I'm not going to knock it because I thought I, I thought it was. Important important for him to send them as whether you th- whether he thought about it or not I like the fact that he was trying to get an out in what the manager clearly described as a huge game go out there try to you know make uh game make eight, biggest game of the year for the Mets <laughs> must win Just game eight of unbelievable. 162 yeah what are your thoughts on David Wright and his season this year and how he'll progress with the team because mm. he's owed a lot of money yeah he's got I, the spinal stenosis he'll never live up to the contract unfortunately I love David Wright I love everything he says you know I love everything he does off the field on the field I mean he's a com- guy's a competitor which I like I know he you know sacrifice a lot you read that article I forget what magazine it was in all the stuff that he has to do to to get ready to to play it's nowadays it's ridiculous all yeah. that training I'd probably just give up and take the millions and, and go home um but I just don't think I mean Defensively, he's become a liability. And offensively, I don't trust him at the plate. I don't think he poses a threat. He's been okay to start, but you're also always worried about – and he's running too, which is nice to on a couple of bases. You're always worried about when's he going to tweak that back? When's he going to get injured? It's just That's just me watching. I don't have trust in David Wright the way that you'd hope to have in him or you have had in him in years past, especially with that you know with the money that they're, they're paying him. So do you think he ends up handcuffing the team? No, because I think eventually if he gets to a point where he needs to walk away, he probably will do that. I don't think Wright's going to be one of these guys who's going to hang on forever just to get every cent of that contract. Mm-hmm. But I think he's going to try to play it out because he loves to play and he wants to play and he wants to win here uh, and all those different things. But I, I don't think he'll he'll handcuff the Mets. It, it, look, financially, it's a problem for them because they're paying, what does he get, an $18 million a year? Not 20, $20 million. For the next two years, then fifteen million in twenty nineteen, okay. twelve million in twenty twenty. Okay, right. So a lot of money. it is a lot of money. So it's a problem for an organization who hasn't in the past spent money, but now they they have. But you're spending that much on a player, you know, who's not 
as productive as the salary well, if says. you just think of getting if you, say you take Harvey out of the equation you still have Syndergaard, DeGrom, Conforto yeah, you guys have a lot of like, young pitchers these you are you good need to guys sign. you'd yeah. like to lock them up yeah. and that's a lot of money to be tied up in a guy that you're kind of wishy-washy yeah on. I wonder how that's going to play itself out but I don't think that and now maybe I'm wrong and I you know I if he took every cent he deserves it he's he signed the contract but I don't think that he's that type of guy that would take it to that extent if he's not you know as healthy and productive as he thinks he could be or should be how many games do you think he plays this season um i'd say a hundred mm-hmm. i don't know if that's a lot or not but i know the number i guess sandy threw out there was about 130 i would have signed for anything between a hundred i mean what do you play last year 30 games so a hundred is a significant increase in that i would yeah. sign for anything over a hundred and as long as they're productive hundred i'm okay with that well it's interesting i think a lot of the work that he's been doing to get ready helps him offensively. I think defensively, it's just really hard for him to get to the ball now. And throwing over to first, you see... Terrible. uh, Yeah, a bunch of those runners have been safe. So that has been a really... That's been bad for him this year. Yeah, and I don't know how they could fix that because you're not going to move him. You're not putting him at first base. You're not moving him anywhere. He's the third baseman. So he's just... He's got to get better somehow. Yeah. Uh, Although offensively, I think he's looked good. Uh, His on-base percentage is pretty strong. So, I mean, hopefully he keeps that up. That could be good. You've talked a lot about the maturity of Noah Syndergaard. Mm. I want to read some tweets between you and Keith Law, who got into Uh. it. So when you were (laughs) claiming that uh, Noah was immature, Keith then said, your claims were unsourced, unverified, and nonsense. Yeah, he's an idiot. Which you basically (laughs) said, you know, trust what you want. I couldn't care less. I'm just stating facts that I heard. He said, I haven't seen one fact from you on this. An unsourced assertion is not a fact. You said, it's my opinion that he's too immature. And he's too immature to succeed in New York based on the facts I've heard from multiple sources. End of story. Keith fired back. Those aren't facts. I've followed Noah since he was 17. I've only heard praise of his makeup and maturity. You said good for you. (laughs) Keith then answered, (laughs) either source your claims or stop slandering the kid. You have an ethical responsibility here. You laughed. Ha ha ha. Go find something better to do. I'm done with this discussion. Uh, And then it kind of devolved from there. What? (laughs) Jesus. What happened? <laughs> what happened is Keith Law is an uninformed moron, as far as I'm mm. concerned. Here's the thing. If he's covered Syndergaard as long as he says he has, which he probably has, right? How does he not know about the maturity issues? Because I know for a fact that's what the Mets were talking about. Oh, and by the way, the Mets have come out and said it over the last year and a half. Everybody has said it. Syndergaard himself has said there were maturity issues. So if you know anything about the Mets, and I don't think in this regard Law does. I think he just followed Syndergaard, the prospect, coming up the through the Blue Jays and all that stuff and maybe paid attention to him from a distance in the Mets camp. But everything you heard from the Mets and the organization was that they were worried about his maturity issues, not just as a pitcher, but also, you know, kind of as an individual. Then the Luntz incident happened and all that stuff. But he's clearly developed into, which is just some kind of stud. But the reason why they went to the World Series last year was because, ahead of schedule, was because of his development and his maturity ahead of schedule where the Mets didn't think that he would do that. And then he went out there and did it. So Keith Law needs to stop talking about me on that. (laughs) I know that he's not doing it anymore. But at that time, just just check in with the Mets. It was very simple. They clearly had had concerns about his maturity. Now, look, he's proven everybody wrong, which is great. Well, right. And what do you attribute that turnaround to? Because the Mets, like you said, the Mets had no idea that 
this guy was going to turn into the mature athlete that he is now. Yeah, and I do think some of it may have gotten overblown, but it, I mean, look, you're a young kid, right? You're going to be immature. I'm 36 at times. I'm immature too, but sometimes that coupled with some of the things, the pressures that New York brings, I mean, that could be a problem. And also at the time, the, just to clarify where you're coming from like as far as trading Syndergaard, the Mets didn't have a bat. They needed to trade one of the arms. They never did. I would have traded Wheeler years ago. They didn't do that, so then it leaves you to, well, I don't want to trade Mats because I kind of like his makeup. You're not trading Harvey and DeGrom, obviously, so who else is left? That would have been the guy. Thankfully, they didn't do that, and now they've paid for a bat. Yeah. Now, I don't know what clicked for him, but it had to be, I don't know, maybe some guys thrive by being up here and having some success. And he's been the perfect temperament, too, because he hasn't been overly... I don't know, aggressive or attention craving. When he first came up, he kind of slid under the radar and was kind of quiet and humble and then slowly but surely been going to Islander games and Ranger games and doing all these things after having some success and then being a dominating presence out on the mound and saying the right things, even with the Royals, being that intimidating presence. Okay, you have a problem with it? The pitch up and in? Come meet me 60 feet. Uh, One okay. of the single greatest things I've heard it in was awesome. yeah. It, it was, was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, you love the guy. So Unbelievable. Whatever it was that clicked for him and, and made him develop as a not only a pitcher but a a mature individual and, and thriving in New York. I don't I don't know, but I'm glad. And I know the Mets are obviously very glad that that happened. Well, too. you didn't expect this out of him from like, because we sort of see the Vegas stuff being at SNY so much that mm-hmm. he didn't, it seemed like he tried to blow it by, he knew how good he was. He tried to blow it by hitters in, in Vegas too much. He tried to overdo it. And that's, so I guess that's sort of like fed to his immaturity where he'd just be like, well, I'm so great. I'm just going to throw a hundred. And you're, but he'd get shelled, and that could happen yeah. a lot. That could happen a lot. And believe me, the the stuff about the maturity, and people still get on me to this day about that, even though I've said a million times I was dead wrong and good for Syndergaard, blah 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 blah. The the problem is people don't understand that it, what I was saying was factually correct. He was there were mature issues. So I mean that that it was it was a proof. The Mets have since said it. It was it was a fact. Syndergaard himself has said it. So I don't know why Keith Law that dope. Who by the way, <laughs> I, no I, people told me about Keith Law. I've heard he's the biggest jerk out there too. So if Keith Law had uh, you know he should have checked in with the Mets if he cared enough or if he had some respect, he should have come said something to my face. I would like to see that. Well, which is so interesting. You got it right. It's not your fault that he made the most miraculous turnaround in maturity that ever existed in an athlete ever. He, he, he had a three months. So much other like, surprise the organization in which he works for. I mean, that the that was it was unprecedented. Well, We've never seen that is, before. And that's the point is that it's well documented. We had Alderson on BNNY, mm-hmm. and he even said, "I because I asked him flat out, how about Syndergaard and the development from the maturity? Oh, his maturity. He, he used the words maturity. So right. it is a proven. If fact. it wasn't an issue, he would have been like, well, that's another never. You know, it's always right. been blown out of portion. Exactly. That's not something we've ever been concerned about. And, but that's all the fans. Anytime you get something, you know, anytime you're wrong on something as far as oh you would have traded the mood they never let that go it's a that's why making predictions is just a foolish uh, a foolish thing or giving opinion sometimes could come back to bite you because you're going to be wrong you're not going to be right 100 percent of the time fans will never let you forget it though all right we've given uh keith law too much shine on this podcast time to move <laughs> Good on point i don't even know who he is until this thing yeah <laughs> so one thing i do want to bring up speaking of matt's pictures is your awesome matt harvey rap oh geez let's yeah. listen to this it's harvey day pitches on the mound and he's gonna make my day hey. he's shocking and he's awesome when he's blowing guys away hey. he's cocky and he's confident in every single way hey. coming off of tommy johnny's throwing harder every day he gives the Mets fans hope they have a winner posting pics on twitter sticking up his middle finger he ain't afraid to be himself he's taking on all comers 
Makes his eyes pop, wearing shirts with lighter colors. He's hot. He's the dark knight of Gotham. <laughs> Nothing can stop him. Move the fences in, it's not a problem. It doesn't matter the batter, he's gonna own you. Dominating since his first pitch in Arizona. Ranger games with models doing skits with Jimmy Fallon. Packed house, sellout crowd of 50,000. No, I don't. I don't. I, lyrically, I think it's real. It's it's creative, and I think it works in all of Harvey's nuances. Right. Um, the delivery needs a little bit of work. <laughs> well, I'm not a rapper, Alexa. I mean, come on. And by the way, for a non-rapper like myself, I think that's. I, I'll put myself against anybody in the media that they can't come up with a better rap. Than hey, that. listen. Most people love rap and love freestyles and will never put themselves out there and actually do a rap right. or a freestyle and you did and you gotta have balls to do that so you know more props to you well I appreciate that uh, lyrically I knew I was I had something there performance was we only did it in like two or three takes I mean you have to think about it and, and plus I'm not I am not comfortable as you could kind of hear it in that spot you're insecure I'm, there are people around I'm like I can't believe I'm actually doing this recording a rap in a <laughs> studio like this they're watching me do this this is terrible but Whatever. I think it could have certainly been better, but lyrically, I think it was on point. And where did this all come from? Where did the where was what's the I'm origin telling of it? you, just one day for what I've always written like raps and stuff like that. And I've usually used to be about like ex girlfriends and things <laughs> when I was younger. But uh, so I've always done that. And then for whatever reason, why well, I worked with uh, at OR, I work with uh, Brody occasionally for uh, on the Z100 morning show, David Brody. So he uh-huh. does these song parodies. I don't know what happened. It just hit me one morning before the season that Harvey's going to have a monster year. And somehow I got the idea of the Harvey Day to the hip hop parade thing. And I just wrote it and I had some fun with it. Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, like I said, it's something that a lot of people can say they can do or say they've done before or can kind of brag about hmm. and never actually put up. And you did. So I recorded I was- the track. I can't believe it. <laughs> this is great. Whether it's bad or not, it's done. It's out there. And I'm glad you brought that back up there. <laughs> I wish, can you delete things from the internet? No. Uh, once yeah. it's on the internet, it's there. Yeah. Some other things I want to delete from the internet, too. I just I Googled Harvey Day Rap, and not oh, only did it show up on the WR website, there's actually like a few Reddit posts about it, too. So it's it's ingrained did, did into they kill the internet. It? No, they just it was like on like one of the Mets subreddits, and they were just like Salicata did this. Yeah. Well, I think it's also refreshing and different too, which is why people were drawn to it because it's not something you know that happens yeah. every no, day. No, they should have been playing out at City Field. Come on, you got some connect. They should have been playing it every time he yeah, pitches. You got you to gotta bring that to Harvey. Harvey should yeah. be, he should take the mound to that song. Unfortunately, nothing will ever trump meet the Mets for the Mets. So <laughs> nothing I don't will know ever. How. Sur- I know that, that little lyrical genius of a song. All right, let's move on to the NFL. They released their schedules Thankfully. last night. What did you see in the schedules that? You know, excited you. Three-hour ESPN coverage? My God. Yeah. That's a good question. You know what? Maybe not excited me, but the thing that that made it weird was the Christmas Eve schedule. There's a full slate of games on Saturday the 24th, which is Christmas Eve. That's a problem. I, I See, look, I love Christmas Eve, and I love NFL Sundays, or even Saturdays for that matter. I don't need the two together. I don't love that because, and also New Year's Day, there's a full slate of games. So yeah. normally you have the holidays that you love separate in addition to a football Sunday or Saturday, whatever it is. Now you have them combined. That's a little bit of a problem. Well, they're trying me. to take Thanksgiving and make that all the other holidays, but they don't realize that they're like, it's a, you know, 
uh, pagan holiday, right? There's there's no religion attached to it. It's just like family sitting around eating and watching football yeah, right. on Thanksgiving. You can't also make every other holiday that because then there is no real holiday. It's well, just I, everyone I, eating and watching. I don't football. mind New Year's Day though because that's sort of National Sports Hangover anyway. Day. Yeah. yeah, everyone's just like, uh, I feel terrible. Yeah, but even so, it takes away. Kind of I mean, that's you, true. You got the Winter Classic going on. You got yeah. college football. But the Winter Classic has Hold lost on. so much yeah. of its Come luster. Come on, the it's, Winter Classic. Uh, that's fine. There, the like, Winter Classic is only for people to go take Instagram photos to say they were there. The the play is terrible. <laughs> the puck movement is awful because yeah, the ice is not supposed I liked to be it outside Arbor. like it that. Was, that was a good one. Well, college football maybe the big yeah, but still it's something to watch, right? You're yeah. home, you're hungover, it's cold, it's freezing, you're taking on the Christmas tree, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, getting re- recovering from the holidays, getting ready to start the new year, and you're watching college football you're watching bowl games you're watching maybe the winter classic now you have the nfl fine because you're still watching sports christmas eve is a problem because i mean sports never end right so you're home with your family on maybe to me the most important holiday and not because you're religious i don't care about that it's just like a family family mom cooks that day mom cooks yeah right exactly i'm not religious i don't care about the the religion i love christmas eve it's my favorite day of the year now you're putting football with that so what am i supposed to do not watch the jets patriots at one o'clock because it's christmas eve well also because they usually have an awesome nba slate on christmas day so you're literally taking my whole holiday and making it must watch you know sports forgot about that and there are two football games on christmas day on the sunday and you're right the nba schedule yeah i mean so now you kind of have to background watch it's just not the same i wish that that wasn't i wish that that wasn't the case good thing is the thanksgiving day uh, thanksgiving day games look pretty good with the division rivals you got the vikings and lions redskins cowboys and then uh not division but good matchup steelers Colts. so those are good games well, luckily the giants don't play on christmas eve so i can really not pay attention yeah. to any of it they, yeah. they lucked out on. oh that that's one. right they play the giants play the thursday night game versus eagles? the eagles yeah, yeah. okay that's exciting. Yeah, I can get. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for, for all the Giants games. Right. Well, that would make sense because you're a Giants fan, Kyle. <laughs> way to state the obvious. All right. You got your Redskins, Alexa, going on Thursday, Thanksgiving. Yeah, we open up the season Monday Night Football against the Steelers, which I think is going to be weird. Uh, we open up the season a lot on Monday Night Football and never win that game, so I'm not super hopeful about it. But I do like the Thanksgiving matchup with the with the Cowboys. That's always good. Um, the we we have a couple games this year that that I'm I've I've already got on the schedule. We're in London this year, which I'm excited about. Even though we're playing the Bengals, I think I could probably make it over for that. How many games are in London? Giants play the Rams yeah. in London. What do they have? Three I games? Four, four? I think four. Oh, Three or many. four? Yeah. It's four too many. Really? Why? Yeah, I hate the games in London. I, f- I got to feel like the Rams. But have you are been really to Wembley? No, no, I've never been. You, a, do you have any London. interest in going? No. I mean, it's one of the greatest arenas on. You've the been? Yeah. Both of you have been? I, I want to go desperately, and right. I don't care what sport I see there. And you've I've, been? I've been outside while something was going on, and it just makes you want to be inside to go experience it. Yeah. Every year, the FA Cup final is because I'm, I'm super huge into soccer, and it's a thing I can't help but watch. I love watching games at Wembley. I've been to uh, the I Georgia Dome. I would knock it until you actually go. Yeah, you've been to the Georgia Dome. <laughs> <laughs> Last year, the Georgia Dome, I may have to go again, but no, I have not. Uh, no interest in going to London. Okay, hold on. So when I was looking up, because I know you're a big Falcons fan, mm-hmm. and you became a Falcons fan because of Deion Sanders back in the day. You were yeah. wearing starter jerseys, and, and yeah. you, you kind of got linked Remember into those, that. Remember those? Starter jackets? I loved those. And, yeah, yeah no, the starter jackets. I never had one. Jackets. Oh. I felt left out, yeah. yeah. I had an Apex one, too, before I got my starters Falcons. And so you've been a Falcons fan from then on. Yeah, about 91, 92, How does that happen? maybe 90. I mean, well, I used to like. I li- well, Kyle, no, Kyle, no, Kyle, I know. Kyle, 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 are you on headphones? We literally just <laughs> went over no, that. What is going on? I, I got that, but it's like the same thing too. Like our our camera guy who's not here, Abiel. Like just yeah. you grow up in this area, but you like I get well, the starter like jacket more to it. Right? Well, normally how normally how your fandom starts is from like your father yeah. or something, right? Well, yeah. my father is not a sports fan at all. So I used to like the Giants a little bit. I like Bill Parcells. I remember liking Felipe Sparks when I was younger, and they were good, you know, winning the Super Bowl against the Bills or whatever, 1990. 
But then when I became, when I, you know, want to have your own identity in school a little bit, my grandfather used to watch the Braves all the time. So I used to watch the Braves with him. The Braves became good. And then I kind of started to like the Braves and Deion Sanders. And then that turned into liking the Falcons. Then you had the starter jacket and the jerseys and all those different things. And then it just took a, it became my own identity. No, the Falcons. Who liked the Falcons? Even though Deion was popular, nobody had like the yeah. Falcons. See, so it was a bit more than a jacket, Alexa. It was a little bit more a little than bit that. More, no. A little bit more than a jacket. Well, but I'm saying there's a family tie. And if it wasn't for my grandfather watching yeah. the Braves, which by the way, he watched the Braves because they were free on TBS where the Yankees, you'd have to pay on MSG. Oh, interesting. So that's how that happened. And uh-huh. the Braves happened to be good in the early 90s. So that kind of, you know, the Mets were on Sports Channel, the majority. Yankees were on MSG, which I had to pay to. So my grandfather didn't want to pay for that being old school. Yeah. yeah well, I watched the Braves, this good team. And then that's kind of how that happened. So you mentioned the Georgia Dome. And I was looking up yesterday. The new Mercedes-Benz Stadium yeah. looks insane. Oh, my goodness. It's it's like a nest. Almost and it folds, too much, though. It's like origami. It folds into <laughs> itself. It's really You're bizarre. Right. But is it as cool as a potential moat, though? I mean, listen, I am so furious with this idea of a moat. You've seen the Redskins' potential drawings for their new stadium. I have not seen they that. They want to put a moat on the outside of the stadium. What is this, a fucking castle? No, it's not. <laughs> it's it's the also, Game of Thrones-centric football stadium. And also, that's a huge liability. How many drunk fans tailgating in the parking lot are then going to wander into the stadium and stumble into the fucking moat, and then you've got <laughs> dead bodies floating around the stadium while I know I can rile her up inside. easily with the moat. Yeah, so I don't just, understand like, why, so they would, why they would do that with a I moat. I want your stadium, because I think the stadium looks really cool. I'll say this, though. I don't understand, like, you know, Jerry Wald looks great in Dallas. I've never been, but I heard it's a, a great thing. Is the, is the Mercedes-Benz Dome going to be better than that? I don't know, but who the hell is going to buy tickets? They have trouble selling out the Georgia Dome. The expense that it's going to cost the Atlanta Falcon fans to get tickets to that thing, uh, it, it doesn't make sense. Kind of like MetLife when that first started. Remember how everybody was, became expensive? They priced all the PSL people out. Difference is it's not New York. It's Atlanta where people don't really care as much about the sports. I think they're making a big-time mistake with that really expensive uh, new building. It does look great, but I don't know. I, I, you know what I love about it the best thing? is that they could retract the roof and play games outdoors. Yeah. That's what I love. All my life I grew up watching a dome team. I want to be an outdoors team. Yeah. Well, also, the experience of watching games at home now has changed so much. I was reading an article yesterday just about people now on the weekends going out, and nobody really goes out to like events anymore. They all stay in and watch right. Netflix and order food because it's all so accessible, and it's gotten to be such a high-quality um, you know, delivery service, and, and Netflix, all the TV shows are, are really great. And that's very similar to sports, right? You can order in all your food. That's that's high quality. And all your TV and, and your sports shows are all there and your sports games. So it's like, why go to the stadium and not be able to see or have some drunk guy spill beer right. on you and just to be there for the experience? I mean, yeah, doing that once a season or, or twice a season is cool. But yeah, how are they going to actually get people off their couches and off their asses to go put their you know asses in seats? Especially football and especially with the prices. Because on a football Sunday, honestly, as big as a Falcon fan I am, and, and I've flown down there plenty of times, I don't even go anymore when the Falcons are in New York to play the Jets or Giants in MetLife. It's just, I want to watch the other games too. I like having, you know, two, three TVs, your iPad set up, you're watching out-of-town games, you're watching the local games for me, and then I'm watching the Falcons. So, if I'm at one specific game, I can't do that. That's that's a problem. Not to mention dealing with the drunk idiots, dealing with the people who are going to throw stuff at you if you're wearing, you know, opponent stuff or whatever, dealing with the price of parking and price of tickets and price of food, dealing with the traffic. No, it's a much better experience sitting at home. So we had this conversation yesterday about Julio Jones and about whether if he was in New York, if he would be a different player in terms of how people perceive him. Yeah, I mean, well, you look at all the attention Beckham has gotten, right? right? I mean, Julio Jones... 
pound for pound, is a better receiver. Top three. He's an every animal. Year. Right. Now, I don't particularly love him as much as everybody else because, really? yeah, because he's fumbled too many times or had a big drop in a big spot. I remember the, uh, I don't know, he's just a little sloppy. I think even in the championship game back in 2000, what was it, 13 or 14, maybe 12. So you're thinking as a Falcons fan, I'm thinking as a fantasy football fan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fantasy football, he's great. <laughs> fantasy as a Falcons fan, he's not, as, he's not yeah. as clean. Like a guy like Roddy White was a great receiver. I love Roddy White. He By the was, way, why did they get rid of him? Well, just old. money and he's older, so he's on the decline. But Jones so is. So you're going to get rid of Roddy White and you're going to bring in Matt Schaub? Okay, guys, that's what. Uh, they, that's going to make stink. sense. Honestly, since they fired Mike Smith, I have uh, been turned off by the by the Falcons because they just the, the organization making the wrong moves. I didn't like the hiring of Dan Quinn. I don't like the direction that they're going. But Julio Jones and Matt Ryan is a nice guy. Ryan, I love franchise quarterback. He's not great, but he's. I think he, I think he's a bit overrated. I know, and he, but think about the league, Kyle. When I, you know, need I know, I know, I know. Matt Ryan is underappreciated almost because he is a franchise quarterback. He's just not as good as Aaron Rodgers. He's not as good as Tom Brady. That's not a knock. It's just it's just a fact. I think he's as good as Joe Fla- uh, Joe Flacco. He just hasn't had the sure. team around him. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you that. I don't. Yeah, I'm gonna that. go middle of the road. He's yeah. just as appreciated that- as what he you know what he's done and what he can. I be love him. Him and I, I, Julio's a beast too, but they they have a lot. I'd rather build a team with defense. You don't need to win with the uh, receivers. Do you like Kyle Shanahan? Uh, no, I don't. Do you? Um, not really. But I did like his turnaround that he uh, that he made in Houston because when he was first there, he helped Shab, and the offense went from one of the worst offenses in the league to like a middle of the road offense. So that helped from his first to second year uh, while he was there. Washington, he didn't do much. I mean, he took us from like twenty, you know. Mm. high 20s to to low 20s in terms of offensive rank but I feel like this year with you guys because he's going into a second year right as offensive coordinator I feel that like this year he could maybe and especially now that he's got job who he helped out a lot and that could help boost his confidence that could help you guys a little bit more the reason why I don't like him is because the Falcons offense wasn't the problem I mean they had a great offense under Mike Smith and Dirk Cutter and Matt Ryan ran it effectively this year Ryan learning a new system he, it was his worst year of his career, so that's why I don't like Kyle Shanahan. Well, yeah, and Roddy White kind of said that this is a, yeah, the, the system's with, not good. I'm with Roddy. Yeah. Do you, are you excited about watching your team this year? No, not really. I am. I think I am gonna. I looked at the schedule a little bit last year, uh, uh, last night. I think I am gonna go down to the finale, which I, I mean, I'm gonna have to talk to my girlfriend about this. It's New Year's <laughs> Day, so maybe spend New Year's in Atlanta, go to the Georgia Dome finale at home against the Saints on January 1st. Uh, just because I love going to the Georgia Dome, something I've done by myself so many times over the years as a sports fan. But outside of that, no, I'm not excited. They stink. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's gonna, <laughs> it'll be hard. All right, so Sal, you're like a professional fan, essentially. Like You get paid to be a fan and talk about being a fan, which I think is an amazing career hmm. and uh, uh, something for people to aspire to, especially who are in this business. But I want to talk to you about your jersey collection first. Oh, boy. So you have a crazy, crazy yeah. jersey collection. Where did you start? How did it all begin? And then what are your prized possessions from your collection? Great question. Uh, I don't know how it really began. I, I think maybe basketball jerseys became like a I mean, I told you about the Dion jersey when I was younger. Maybe that was one of the first ones. But then basketball jerseys became a really big deal. Um, and I remember, I mean, you know, I have a bunch of Knicks ones. You name a 90s Nick, and pretty much I have the jersey. But, like, I was a big Starks guy, so I had that. And then I would just buy the jerseys from, around, you know, Grant Hill with the Pistons when he came up, Sean Kemp with the Sonics, like all those. Now, those were replica for the most part jerseys. Then right. I started to get authentic football jerseys. Maybe, and you're paying for these all on your own? Oh yeah, no, I was in major debt at the time. Seriously, I was <laughs> I was in probably like fifteen grand of debt after over years and years of just spending recklessly, mostly on these jerseys because those jerseys, the authentics were like two hundred twenty bucks. Yeah, it even at so the time, nice, though. they they're great. Yeah. My favorite one is probably 
Eric Metcalf authentic Falcons jersey because it's the first authentic one that I have. It's also number 21, so a lot of people, when you, they see you from the front, like in school, they think it's a Deion Sanders, uh-huh. and then they see Metcalf, and they're like, who the hell is that? And that shows that you're a real you know, Falcons fan. Uh-huh. I have authentic Vic jerseys every color, Jamal Anderson. I have Mets jerseys. I mean, Those are expensive. Yeah. I, my, Out of control. Mets jerseys, Mets fan can appreciate this. I have Daryl Hamilton. With no name on the back. Remember in 2000, the Mets just had a bunch of jerseys with the numbers, no name. Hamilton jersey. I have Carlos Baerga, Ray Ordonez, uh, Derek Bell. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I have Kirk Newenheis. Not my proudest You purchase. have Kirk Newenheis? I have Kirk Newenheis. I like it, yes. Kelsey. That's the type of player I, I'm talking I about. I have it. I have Kirk Newenheis Mets jersey. <laughs> First Mets jersey that I purchased that wasn't like from when I was a kid. Yeah. See, I like that. I mean, I like getting – I like Cliff Floyd. I have one of his jerseys. I like oh, getting nice. the guys that aren't – you know, I loved Piazza, but I'm not getting a Piazza jersey. Everyone because has it. Exactly. I right. felt different with the new and high school. And now go. he's no longer on the team, so but I'm like that's a little okay. bit upset. It happens, believe me. I felt those... very proud when he had the three home run game. Yeah, and I've got there a Kurt, you go. I've got a Kurt <laughs> new and high jersey. I wore it to work the next day. Did was... you get him to sign it? You got to go out and get him to I sign got, it. I have to go to Milwaukee or yeah. wherever he is right now. And the Brewers like, come to town in yeah. May. Kurt, can you please sign this? I like getting the jerseys of um, the teams that the Redskins trade or give away our, our quarterbacks to. So, like, mm-hmm. I have a Jason Campbell Raiders jersey. I have a Donovan <laughs> McNabb Vikings t-shirt jersey. Uh, I have ordered currently coming uh, very soon an RG3 Browns jersey. Like, I've got all of the supporting teams who have been willing to pick up our quarterbacks and say, you know what? I'm going to try and revive the career that the Redskins tried so hard to ruin because I don't want to give the money to Dan Snyder. I mean, I've got like a Clint Porter, you know, I've got like, right. you know, some Redskins jerseys here and there, but I mainly wanted to support our quarterbacks once they left and uh, uh, got ruined by uh, stupid Redskins. I like that. There's a theme to it. That's yeah. pretty cool. Well, especially the quarterbacks, right? It's almost like you hate being a Redskins fan to a certain extent. Oh, for sure. It yeah. was so funny. So I went to WrestleMania and it was at you were 18. There, huh? Yeah, it was great. And it was my first time at, at AT&T Stadium. And I was obsessed with Dallas. I love the city. The food was cool. The vibe is very awesome. And I loved AT&T Stadium. It's like a huge spaceship, but it feels pretty intimate when you're in there, even though it's 100,000 people. They did a really good job. And I found myself, and Peter and I looked at each other like, what the fuck are we talking about? We are diehard Redskins fans. We hate the Cowboys. Mm. Yet we had one of the most, you know, one of the best experiences we've ever had going to an opponent's arena. And we were just like, fuck, we picked the wrong franchise. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> but uh, not that we would be Cowboys fans, but it was just it was a it was a cool experience. And you've never been to AT and T Stadium, right? I have not. No, I'd like to go eventually. But you yourself, and I've heard a bunch of other people who have uh, who have gone. They say they they love it. It's oh, we incredible. were like marveling at it. We were yeah. just looking around, and the screen is out of this world. I've never seen anything like it. We were down on the floor for WrestleMania, and so we had to look straight up to see the screen, and we only actually could see the bottom of it. But it runs the whole length of the field. I've never seen anything like it. Hmm. The whole length of the field is this scoreboard. That it's, probably would scare me, huge. I think, especially being under it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like it's got pretty good support. What's your favorite <laughs> what's your favorite ballpark arena right. stadium that you've been to? Uh probably Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field and Lambeau. I mean, if you haven't been to Lambeau Field, you have to go. It is a must. Uh, I love Fenway Park too, but there's something about Wrigley that when I first walked in there and you see the ivy on the wall, it's just you grew up watching it. I mean, that was something special to me to be able to go there. I went there for my 30th birthday a few years ago. Well, geez, now six years ago with uh, one of my buddies. That was great. And Lambeau a couple years ago. I went to see the Falcons play in the snow, in the freezing cold in December in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It was one of the great experiences. To see that place come to life was just incredible. Are those fans just as nice as everyone says they are? No, they got on me a lot. Yeah. They, uh, oh, yeah. They just, as, to matter, uh, as a matter of fact, I left the game... 
I don't know if it was halftime or third quarter. It was really cold, but also the fans were being obnoxious. Well, good. Them. I'm glad you said that because everyone talks about these hippie Wisconsin fans and how they're so nice and they're mid- Midwestern, so they're super welcoming. When the Redskins and Packers played that playoff game at FedEx this year, those fans were jerks. They yeah. were total fucking jerks. I hated them. <laughs> they were really mean. And I was like, all right, guys. They didn't say anything at the beginning of the game because guess what? Aaron Rodgers didn't look good. And then once he turned it on, they all got on their high horses with their big, spiky, neon green you know, hat hair. Uh, and their jersey. I was like, come on, get you, over it. Yeah, and you know, it's one thing, like, like I've been in spots before where I've been a vocal fan, but in this particular case, I'm freezing my rear end off. We're out there. I got all I have that you could see visible is a Falcons, you know, um, ski cap type thing, you know, with a little beanie on it. I wasn't saying anything. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, let's go Falcons, Packers, Steak, none of that. I wasn't asking for any of it, and they were just getting on me. I couldn't believe The Falcons, it's not like I'm a Bears or, you know, Vikings fan sitting there wearing my I couldn't believe it. Do you remember jerks. the first time? Yeah, jerks. Do you remember the first time where your fandom, you know, kind of was so overwhelming for you that you were like, wow, I could do this as a career, and you saw you doing this for the rest of your life? I think what made me want to do what I do now is that I listened to sports talk radio. I grew up listening to Mike and the Mad Dog. When I first discovered them, probably in like 94, 95, it gave me, it was like therapy for me. It gave me an outlet to call in. I used to call all the time because I had to get my thoughts and my opinions out out from inside of my body because it was eating me up and I had to have it heard. I don't care if it was by one person, it was by anybody, whatever. But to call them and get through to them became therapeutic for me. And that's when I felt that that's something that I wanted to do. Because I, I grew up watching sports. You know, people go to parties and, hey, Sal, we're having a party down the block at the school. Everybody's going to go drinking. I wouldn't do that. I watch, stay in and watch baseball. That's it. Like in high school, that's all that I did. I didn't go out or drink or do any of that. I watched sports. I loved it. I, I knew it. I grew up with it. I loved it. And I needed to have my voice heard. So that kind of is what propelled me to, to do it. I had to do it. I wouldn't be able to live with myself. It's therapy It's therapy for me. Drive me insane to keep all this in. Well, so then you didn't end up going to college. You ended right. up interning with Francesa. Yeah. And that was an eight-year career there where you worked you worked way up from intern. You did board opping and you were doing producing for them. He gave you a couple on-air shifts here and there. Mm-hmm. But from your beginning uh, and your start there to your end, what was your biggest lesson that you learned there that you're taking from that to move on to your next, you know, career move. Oh man, I mean, look, there's a lot. I mean, I, I didn't. Right, you're right. I didn't go to college. I went to a broadcasting school. Got an internship with Fan through that broadcasting school. Worked my way up to be able to become on Francesca's show. And oh, I, I started with Mike and the Mad Dog, but then I was there when they left. Um, so then, like you said, Mike gave me some airtime, gave me some opportunity. Then I got in trouble there for something stupid. Ended up getting fired. Whatever. Uh, what and, happened? And I actually got hired back, by the way. So something happened with. The the I, it turned out the school that I went to, the broadcasting school that I went to, they were going to be like a sponsor of something that I was doing outside of fan. And I had tried to talk to them about becoming a sponsor. Maybe they could help me with the tuition that I was paying for them. And somehow there was a big miscommunication and word got back to CBS. And then they thought it was they thought I was going to go on the air and rip them. And it was really a messy thing. And I don't think that Mike or obviously the boss, Mark Chernoff, wanted uh, me to get fired. But just the way that it was, it became a legal thing. And, you know, once it gets that high, they're like, well, who's this guy? We don't need him. We don't need the headache. And then I got fired. Did you end up saying anything on air, though? No, that was no, never. No, never. So it was just hearsay and, that people thought it that wasn't. Was it wasn't hearsay. It was. Yeah. I think it was miscommunication okay. more than anything else. So now, luckily for me, I got hired shortly thereafter that at SNY and have been there since. Also, a couple of years ago, I went, I got hired back by FAN. 
I reached out to Chernoff and said it's been a couple of years. You know, I'd love to come back. I've learned from my mistakes, all the stuff. They took me back, and then I ended up leaving to go to OR because it was just more opportunity. You know, fam was a lot of overnights and fill-ins, and at OR I have more opportunity. But the reason why I even bring that up is because you said, what have you learned? And I don't think that I've learned um, – I don't think I could have learned anything more from having that happen because honestly, I didn't deserve to get fired, but I think I did have a little bit of an attitude of, you know, I work at the fan and I'm cool because of that and all these different things. And I, I think I valued myself based on what I did as opposed to who I really was. And when something like that happens to you, I mean, think about it. It was my dream, right? To grow up working at WFAN. And I achieved that dream somehow. A college dropout who just loves sports, who loved Mike in the middle, got to intern at the fan, work his way up beyond the show actually host shows on fan which is i can't even believe that i achieved that dream and then to have that kind of taken away yeah from something that i did but still i I don't i don't feel like ultimately i deserved that but to have it taken away you really check yourself and do some self-evaluation and i did that for a long time and then just learned certain things and learned the important things in life and how to act and you know what how you should carry yourself and what's important and check your ego and all these different things. And I think that that's helped me not only just at SNY, but also, you know, getting back to fan and OR and not only on air and in the career, but also in other areas of life as well. When you were doing radio, did you see yourself as a TV guy? No, never. Did never. It? I still don't see myself as a TV guy. <laughs> I, to be honest with you, once I got hired at SNY, I had to go out and buy suits. I didn't even have one suit that fit. <laughs> I went to Banana Republic outfit uh, outlets and bought like eight suits. Yeah. I, I had not one. So I had to buy shoes, suit, dress shirts. Coming from radio, you go up in jeans and a t-shirt or I mean, sometimes sweats even. So no, I did not see myself as a TV guy. And do you see yourself? And you still don't see yourself as a TV guy. How I mean, I don't. I don't know if I don't. I don't necessarily look at myself as a TV guy. I look at myself as a guy who's on TV, maybe from radio. I mean, I'm. A, I like. I love the TV work. It's a lot different from radio. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. I guess I don't. I guess I'm kind of both, right? I yeah. Mean, yeah. I, I am both, but I don't necessarily look at myself as a guy who's on TV. I think the TV guy. You know who I think of as a TV guy? Gary Apple. Gary yeah. Apple is a TV guy. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. type of guy. I'm not. I'm not a TV guy like in that regard. Like an anchor is usually a TV guy. We're like a. I'm a personality. Yeah. You're talking head. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Okay. I'm a, yeah. So you grew up on Long Island and you experienced a lot of what you did through your career locally and regionally and you've made it to uh, essentially, I mean, you've made it to the pinnacle. What do you say to kids who are in college now who and most of the time when, you know, especially when I was in college, when they told you how you would have to go through your career, it was you have to go to Bumblefuck, Indiana. You have to work your way up to five or six small markets. Then maybe you'll get to the top market. You started in the top market and you're currently in the top market. And that journey is a long and arduous one. What do you say to someone who says, should I go there or should I do this? It's a great question. And I think that everybody has done it differently. I've been fortunate enough to where I haven't had to leave yet, but that doesn't mean that I won't have to leave because, you know, even though, and you say I'm at the pinnacle and I appreciate that, but yeah, being on air in New York on the radio and TV is a big deal. Yeah. But ultimately everybody wants you know their own full-time show or whatever. I don't have that yet. So maybe I do have to go somewhere else eventually to prove I could get ratings and such and then come back. But Either way, I've been fortunate if I haven't had to leave. Other people may have to. It depends what you want. And I was willing to. It just hasn't gotten to the point where I have had to yet. I think that if people want to be on the air, the best way to do it is go be on the air. Now, though, it's so different with podcasts where you could have your own YouTube channel. So, I mean, it's it's a completely different animal than when I was coming up in it and you kind of had to just go get reps 
maybe out of market or whatever the case is, you had to be given an opportunity from somebody. I think now you can make your own opportunity by like same thing you're doing here, or you just people just create their podcast and hope that it catches on and, and go from there. Or if you want to go get ratings and prove yourself, which is a big barometer, even still, then you have to go out of market. And it just it just depends on how bad you want it. I will say this: this is not the. I think it's funny because I think people just maybe look and see you on TV and be like, oh, how does this guy get that opportunity? And they don't see the years you interned and the years you cut tape and the years you board opt and the years you produced and all those you making no money and working every holiday and working weekends and nights. You know, everybody thinks they're just going to roll in and have a Monday through Friday schedule and be on the air one to six like Francesa and make millions of dollars. It doesn't happen like that. So even for the people who have had some success like myself, we're still not where we want to be. You're still working all sorts of hours and juggle all over the place and working weekends and things like that. So it just depends how bad you want it. I'll say this. If it's not your main priority in life, don't even waste your time because you'll never be successful. It has to be main priority. Not girlfriends, not friends, not family, not business, not parties. This has to be it. You have to want it more than anything else in your life. And then you just do whatever it takes to get there, whether it's going out of market or staying here. And otherwise, you won't have success. Which is so funny because um, a lot. So, our friend recently, Brandley, who works at SMY with mm-hmm. us, went and spoke at her college. And she was speaking to a group of young women who wanted to be on air. And one of the questions after she gave a presentation, one of the questions was a young woman said, and Brandley's a producer. One of the women said, so you had a broadcast journalism degree. Why didn't you use your broadcast journalism degree in your career for what you're doing now? And Brandley was like, well, there's a lot more to broadcast journalism than just being on air. They didn't understand the concept of there are like a billion jobs that go on behind the scenes just to get this one person's face on TV. And that's all broadcast, too. Someone along the lines told them that if you want to be on air, become a broadcast journalism major and that's going to get you there and poof, that'll be it. So these like a lot of these and a lot of these kids I talked to have these like these uh, disillusions. It's crazy about how to actually get it done. I feel like for me, when I knew that I wanted to be on air, I knew that I had to learn all the other stuff behind mm-hmm. the scenes first. Helps. Yeah. In order to even appreciate being on air, because then you can, you know, help work with all the people who are going to help you get to where you want to go. And some people don't do that. That's what I mean. Everybody's got a different path. A lot right. of people do and have done that, which I think is great for me. I wouldn't want to have it any other way because I know what it takes to be a board up. I know what it means to cut tape and I know all those behind the scene things and you can appreciate that. I know what it feels like to not be on the air and be that person there. Yeah. And Everybody should be treated as far as I'm concerned. You know how they refer to people on the air as talent? Yeah. I always hated that because I always felt like, well, I'm talented too. It doesn't mean that you can't call me talented just because I'm a board op. That's, that's garbage. Right. So that always bothered me. And to this day, I hate being referred to as on-air talent. But you're right. These people just don't get it. That's what I mean by you have to want a bed. You're not yeah. just all of a sudden going to go to school and be like, poof, hey, WFAN's calling you. You're on, uh, you know, you're filling in for Mike today. You're on one to six. It does, it's not even close to that. There are times where... You don't know what's going to happen. You're making no money, working all those hours, and you have to hope to one day get an opportunity, and then you have to be good. When you get the opportunity, which is the hardest thing to get, then you have to perform and actually be pretty good. Some people have gotten the opportunity and failed, but to get that opportunity is the biggest thing. Then you have to do something with it. What is your dream job? Um, I'm close. I think that... Um I, if you asked me this maybe 10 years ago, it was probably to have a full-time show on WFAN. Right now, I think it's just to have a full-time radio show 
to where I could get ratings and then do more. I mean, I would do TV too, obviously, if a full-time show opened up. I just want my own show. And I don't mean my own show like it has to be all me. Mm-hmm. I want somebody to give me the opportunity to prove that I can get ratings and do a very good show, whether it's with me and a co-host or something like that. That's what I want. So- well, I think the rap helps. That's what <laughs> <it can happen. laughs> I want to be a that's rapper, good- Alexa. That's what I want to be, a full-time rapper. How about send that? Uh, tell Peter to hook it up with the uh, with the Harvey track. Oh, yeah, I will. Don't worry. <laughs> you you, you got to use sure. your connections. You got to use your connections. Oh, I mean, come on. Peter did that. This is why I'm hot. Uh, Duke oh, song. There are so many more embarrassing things that yeah. Peter's done on the radio. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's what you have to do, right? It's all part of the hustle. Yeah. All right, Sal, we end every podcast with an embarrassing story. What do you got? Uh, I mean, we just talked about me getting fired. Is there anything worse than that? I mean, I got, I got fired for my dream job. That's pretty embarrassing. It's pretty embarrassing. Um, Man, I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't know. I have some awkward ones that I guess involve women, but I don't know. Yeah, let's do those. No, I mean, it's... <laughs> What? Kyle, what, do you have any embarrassing stories that you no, want to share? No, I'm not talking to Kyle, Sal. Uh, I'm talking no. to you. You have to give me at least one good embarrassing story. Mm, all right. I Just the one that comes to mind here. Uh, and again, it kind of, yeah. All we right. can talk so, about your karaoke night if you want to talk about that. Oh, my. Well, <laughs> I, f- I actually forgot about that. That was embarrassing. That was yeah, a good let's, one. Let's stick with that one. Okay. Uh, certain details from that we'll leave out. But okay. I remember getting obliterated. Were you there that night, Kyle? That was that. one of the karaoke nights I was not at, but I heard about afterwards. Yeah, and so, I think someone's got still got the pictures. You made it even worse. You guys were taking pictures of me with throw up all over myself, Alexa. We went out. We got hammered. Somebody was feeding me some sake. It was singing on the mic, saying things on the mic I probably shouldn't have said, and then getting wasted and throwing up all over myself. And when the, you guys took pictures of it, you, Michelle Yu was there. It was her birthday, I think. I man, not only did I throw up all over myself, I think I threw up in the cab on the way home. Yeah. I also left my backpack and everything there. The next day, I was supposed to see Batman that had just come out, the Dark Knight movie. I think it was the third one, with my buddy at eleven o'clock. I, he was like calling me, knocking on my door. He's like, "Dude, where I was passed out, <laughs> got to the movie, fell asleep in the movie theater. It was just that was one of the worst nights I've had drinking wise in my entire life." Well, it was funny because. You showed up, and you showed up late too, because everyone had been drinking for hours and hours. And I was I getting you off wanted of work. To play catch up. I was working at MLB.com, and yeah, I, yeah it was like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, having yeah. to play catch up is the worst. Just don't. It's, just it's just awful. Like, no, Especially with everyone there is wasted, and then you have to get on the mic and sing karaoke. So right, so you have to to um, to get caught up, and then you did Heartless, which was really funny. Because, I did. Because, <laughs> <laughs> was I going through a breakup at the time? I might have been. I don't know, but it was funny because nobody else knew the song, so we were all just sitting. There. I mean, I knew it because I'm a Kanye fan, <laughs> and I love Odo, Odo, It's in Heartbreak. But it was just you, like, when you be so heartless. Oh my just God. you. And I like, nobody else. And like, it was the auto tune album. So, like, nobody, everyone passed oh by it. Oh my God. It was so good. Then you said some You're really interesting things. You kind of got some some feelings out there that you wanted to, to get out there about some of your coworkers, which was fun. I don't recall any of that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you dropped the mic. You essentially what you did was you said that there were some ladies in the office who you thought were very pretty. And some of them had to be, they were happened to be present in the room and so that was fun so you did like a little bit of a confessional I'm an idiot and then you walked out and you walked down the stairs this is what I've been told by the people who were surrounding you and you puked all over yourself and then walked back in like hey guys what's up like let's go do some more karaoke it was pretty amazing I don't even think I honestly to this day I don't remember throwing up on myself until I saw the picture Yeah. and I've seen some of the pictures uh, since that night yeah that was that was probably up there because you know keep in mind you're doing it with people you work with yeah which is an embarrassment yeah, yeah. 
Let, I, that, let that be a lesson. Don't go drinking with your coworkers. Don't go drinking in karaoke. That is a lesson I've learned very well. I blame Mandel. Every time Dave Mandel, producer for the Mets at SNY, every time I go out with him, I get ridiculously He makes me get nuts. I get ridiculously drunk with him. My worst drunken nights have always been with Dave Mandel. Well, and he does a really good job of every drink he drinks, he then drinks water. And he, he does the one-to-one. One, yeah, exactly. And no one else is drinking water. So we're all just dehydrated zombies. He's just a lot smarter than all of us. Well, yes, that's for sure. Yeah. Do we um, have to end it on that note? Oh my God! That's do you have another? Do you have no. another good story? Because no. we can end it on whatever note you no, want. No, that's to end it. it on. Everything else I'm keeping in. That's <laughs> it. I don't want anybody to hear this stuff. I do have a hundred percent verification that all evidence of that night has been destroyed. Are you sure about that? Hundred percent. See, so that's a good note to end it. On. I don't believe that. Hundred percent. Michelle got rid of the photos too. I'm the only one who has the evidence. Oh, you had the photos, and it's gone. Oh, so, right. I, all right, thank you. I'm Appreciate speaking that. from personal experience. Yeah, it's gone. Oh, okay, good. You'll never have to live it down. This is the last time, actually. I think you'll ever have to talk about it. <laughs> Appreciate that. It'll be over. I actually forgot about. it. I was going to tell a different story. I forgot about that night. Thanks for bringing that one up, though. Well, I wanted to get that out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you Did you think I was going to say that one off the top of my head? I totally forgot. I had it ready just in case we okay. weren't going to talk about it. And meanwhile, I'm like, all right. There was this one time where I was with this girl, and she's like, wait, what about the night you got really drunk and drove all over yourself? <laughs> Yeah, she had that ready to go. It was a good one. Sal, thank you so much for being here. We really, really appreciate you being on the podcast. You were awesome today. That was a lot of fun. Kyle, Sheldon, thank you as well. And make sure you guys check out Red Bull online at RB Studios NY. We are at Alexa underscore NYC. Sal, what's your Twitter? Uh, At Sal, S-A-L underscore Licata, L-I-C-A-T-A. So check out Sal on social media and let's go get a snack.